Welcome to Speaking of Purpose. I'm Sona Kosla. There's a quote I read recently that I want to share. It says, what we've seen in this last year is that no single organization or sector can do it alone. No single government can solve all these problems. No company, no multilateral organization, no community organization. If we act alone, we will fail. The author of this quote could have been talking about any of the existential threats we are facing today when it comes to planet and people. But this author is talking about a very specific issue that is affecting every one of us across the globe. These are the words of Anil Soni. Anil is the CEO of the World Health Organization Foundation, and he's our guest on today's episode. The WHO Foundation is a specialized agency of the United Nations, a new vehicle designed to gain public and private support for the World Health Organization. One of their initiatives is called Go Give One. It's a campaign that encourages everyone everywhere to play their part in helping end global vaccine inequity. In our conversation, we talk about why it's so important that everyone in the world gets access to vaccines and the extreme global inequity in vaccine distribution. We also talk about the role that companies play in the global response to vaccine inequity and how they can support efforts by governments and nonprofits to ensure that the entire world has the opportunity to get vaccinated. I have to say that this conversation unfolded differently than our typical interviews. It got deep and it got personal. It became clear that Anil's passion and purpose is fueling his commitment to the movement. So we've decided to share the interview in its rawest form possible, while ensuring that the background context and references are clear to our listeners. So in some parts, we've inserted statements for clarity. Get ready to join us on a journey into the personal story behind one of the most politicized topics through the eyes of Anil Sony. No matter what side of the issue you might find yourself on, I encourage you to listen with an open mind and an open heart. So, let's get started with today's episode of Speaking of Purpose. Speaking of Purpose is presented by Benevity, a technology and engagement platform that helps the world's most iconic brands bring their purpose to life based in Calgary, Canada. We'd love for our listeners to get to know you and understand where your passion actually comes from. So tell us, how did you get to where you are today? Uh, <laughs> how did I get to where I am today? I am the product of my community. Um, I'm the product of my parents. They came to the United States. I was born in the United States. They came from India to the United States to make a better life. And I feel like uh, it's the great American story and one that I got to witness personally. They came with dollars in their pocket and a dream to create a better life for their children. And as a consequence of that, and I think as a, as a consequence of the confluence of both their work ethic and the American orientation towards achievement and exceptionalism, I worked hard. And I worked hard 
And then I looked for purpose. So I had been successful, but I wanted to allocate my talents such as they are to purpose. And I found that when I was in college, uh, I did various things in the summers when I was in university. I worked for NASA one summer. I volunteered uh, in the Middle East another summer. I also worked in a small village in West Africa, in Ghana. And when I was there, I asked the very basic question of someone who is privileged to someone who has not had the same opportunities that I've had. I asked, what can I do in my life to help you? And the answer that I heard and that I integrated was to do my part to give him and his children a fair shot. He wasn't looking for a handout. He wasn't looking for charity as such. What he pointed out to me in his response is that while everyone has equal potential, not everyone has equal opportunity. Bono says this poetically uh, by saying that it's an accident of latitude and longitude, the outcomes for one person relative to another. But that really struck home the idea that I have equal value to everyone else. And I happen to have parents in a community that created opportunities for me, but others don't. In fact, millions of people don't, billions of people don't. And their souls are just as worthy as ours. And the purpose that I have is to ensure uh, that I do my part to respond to injustice and create equal opportunity for others. We know that much of that career was focused on the HIV AIDS epidemic. So I'd love to just kind of hear how that manifested in your career. And then if you could talk to us a bit about that time in your life and what influence the people from that time who were directly affected by it had on you or your work or your future. Much of my career has been focused on HIV AIDS and I'm grateful for that for many reasons. One is there's been incredible progress in fighting that pandemic. But another is it's a unique community of people who put love and rights first, even when they have too often been marginalized. The HIV AIDS epidemic started with marginalized communities, with gay men whose love and way of interacting with one another is criminalized, with injection drug users, with sex workers. Those are communities that are already stigmatized and they were affected by this disease in a way that further robbed them of their rights and their humanity. But what I saw when I got involved in the fight against AIDS in the 1990s was that those communities fought back. They demanded compassion. They demanded to be seen. Their activism was compelling, not just for me, but for heads of states, for governments. They could not be unseen. And once we saw them, we acted differently. Medicines were developed more quickly. Billions of dollars were allocated to fight the disease and ensure that people were born with the virus. That power that they had, which came from this very authentic place of we deserve to be seen, we're humans just like you, uh, was compelling. 
for me personally. The other aspect of my career that I just found so amazing was despite that fight within these communities of activists, of people who speak truth to power, who are fighting for what's right, no matter how few resources they have, there is so much love. There is so much love for one another. And I felt embraced when, as a very young person, I said, I want to pitch in. Love is not something you hear too many CEOs talk about. But for someone in Anil's position, who sees solutions to the world's problems through a lens of compassion and personal responsibility, it's arguably the most sustainable fuel we have to tackle the world's largest problems, like those of inequality. Love is power. The idea that we keep love at home and somehow bring something else to work, (laughs) that always felt flat for me. My power is love. My power comes from my heart. And I think it's absolutely true that all of us look for opportunities to manifest our best selves and to be in community in the work that we do. That's what we aspire for. We aspire for purpose. And I think purpose is associated with our hearts and our feelings and love. So I don't subscribe to this idea that 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 um, that that love is <laughs> it somehow somehow um, I don't know something that you put on a shelf or that we we sit at home with our kids we feel love but with our colleagues we don't. <laughs> yeah. Love is what I bring to the office every day. Love is what I bring to this work, and that's so important to me because it is through love that we can see each other fully, that I look at you on the screen and I see a person who's as full as my wife or my mother who are in the other room or anyone else in my life who I would do anything for. Each of us is as worthy of that commitment, of that fullness, of, 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 of effort. And when we can bring that to the way in which we interact with the world and the way in which we try to solve problems that affect others, I think that gives us a special type of superpower, or it certainly allows us to do more and to be more fulfilled in doing it. So I'm not shy about talking about love at all. And that's very much what I found in the HIV AIDS community. I can think of the people living with HIV who hugged me and and who loved me. I can think about the conferences where we were talking about tough topics, but in the evenings we would celebrate together. And it's that lifting of our spirits and of seeing each other fully that makes that community not just a community that I want to work in and with, but also a community that I think has been as effective as it's been in fighting the pandemic. So speaking of the pandemic, we're now almost two years into this thing. And uh, so I'm really curious about what was actually going on in your mind, like given your background, like what was going on through your mind 
in you know March of 2020, when it became clear that this was going to be you know more than what it looked like before that. And I'd love to also hear what changes you've maybe observed since then. Well, in March of 2020, I was living in Brooklyn, and I'd like to say, even though I was the head of infectious disease for a major pharmaceutical company, that my experience was the same as everyone else's. And that's a profound statement to make, that in that moment, virtually everyone on the planet was feeling the same level of fear and anxiety. Our worlds were turned upside down. The routines that we depend on were brought to a halt. The fact that we were all thinking and feeling these things at the same time, reading the same news reports, trying to understand how do we keep our loved ones safe, to me, as much as there was pain in that moment, particularly for those whose loved ones were directly affected by the virus, there was also power because there was solidarity. We were acting together, even as we were feeling our way in the dark. And in Brooklyn, there were the 7 p.m. hitting of your pans because we were trying to literally create sound to bring us together. We were trying to keep each other safe by keeping distanced. When wearing masks, we were proud to wear masks. We were trying to say we're each doing our part. A couple of things were striking to me as the pandemic evolved. When it started, we all felt equally vulnerable. As it progressed, we found that the same communities who have always been left behind, who have always been robbed of power through generations of injustice, were the ones who were most affected. And I felt in particular that this was a moment in we were, when we were seeing the manifestation of structural racism. We were seeing the manifestation of colonialism because those communities who have not had the same level of privilege or economic empowerment were the ones that were being hit hardest by the pandemic. And when we celebrated heroes, the people who were still going to the grocery store or to manage our basic municipal services, I have tremendous appreciation for those individuals, but it became clear that they were also hostages to their economic situation. And so for me, continuing to see how the pandemic has affected certain communities, and now that's on the world stage with vaccinations, when less than 1% of the vaccines delivered have gone to low-income countries, what I see in this is a once-in-a-lifetime moment in which we can ask ourselves, how do we reach back, in fact, to March of 2020 when we felt solidarity and hold on to that solidarity so we keep acting together and keep acting in a way that supports one another and continues to treat each of us on this planet, no matter your color, no matter which country you live in, 
as equally worthy. That's what I think we have to do in this moment. And while I want governments to do that and I want corporations to do that, those organizations, public or private, are composed of people. So the mandate that I feel, the opportunity that I think exists in this moment is for each and every one of us to step up in whatever way we can to hold on to that solidarity and transform it from solidarity of anxiety and fear and our lives being turned upside down to a solidarity that powers our ability to lift each other up and tackle these generational injustices that we are seeing manifest in this moment that, that, that have roots that go back hundreds of years. And we all inherit those roots because my life has been a product, not just of my parents who I talked about, but also the privilege that I had living in a community that was built on generations of injustice. And so my job, I think, is to keep my eyes open in this moment when certain people are being left behind and ask myself, how do I do something differently in the future so that we can act in solidarity uh, for one another going forward? And so, as Anil says, vaccine equity isn't just about vaccines. It's about equity writ large, creating an equity of access, an equity of justice, and an equity of belonging. The actions of each individual person can make a difference. Whether that person is an elected official, a C-suite executive, or an employee at a company, it is the movement of individuals that creates change. Anil, sensing that power and that responsibility, founded the Go Give One campaign. Go Give One is an initiative by the WHO Foundation that seeks to get everyone involved in being the solution to vaccine inequity. Because as Anil says, no matter what your beliefs are about the politics, economics, or the polarization around COVID-19, the answer is for everyone to have access to the vaccine. Access provides choice, and we are so far from that today that it will take a massive collective effort to change that. We're in a moment 18 months into the pandemic when we have effective vaccines, when we can end the pandemic, that is extraordinary. But also when 80% of the vaccines have gone to a handful of upper middle income and high income countries, that for the people in those countries, that's wonderful. I don't fault any, anyone who's listening to this podcast who's been vaccinated, who has access to vaccines. I think that's wonderful. I'm so happy that you feel safe, that you felt that moment of euphoria when you got a vaccine, when you said, oh my gosh, I can let my breath out after 18 months. Most of the people on the planet haven't had that experience and in fact are right back where you were 12 months ago or 18 months ago. They're in the middle of the Delta variant skyrocketing. They're in the middle of ICUs being filled and they don't have access to vaccines. It's not that they're choosing not to get them. They don't have access. 
less than 1% of the vaccines that have been delivered are in low-income countries where billions of people live. So the need is for everyone who can pitch in, literally everyone, to tackle vaccine inequity, to bridge the gap of access. And it occurred to me earlier this year that everyone should have the opportunity to pitch in, that we should democratize the response to COVID-19. Yes, governments must do their part, but individuals can do their part with $5. Literally for the cost of a cup of coffee, a lot of people have the ability to give $5. And many of the people who have received the vaccine did not purchase that vaccine with any additional outlay of, of cash, right? Yes, you have taxes and yes, you have health insurance, but I didn't buy my vaccine when I went to the vaccine center. And it's certainly worth $5 and someone else's life is certainly worth $5. So my goal in creating the Go Give One campaign was to allow anyone anywhere to pitch in so that everyone everywhere has access to COVID-19 vaccines and to do that at a price point and with the simplicity of action, $5 in any currency, in any language, give, make it easy to give and feel like I've reached out across oceans and ensured that people who live on the other side of the planet, that they have access to vaccines too. That's what Go Give One is about. Any individual can donate to Go Give One, and the goal of the campaign is to harness the power of the individual to eliminate vaccine inequity. But as Anil says, one of the quickest and most effective ways of reaching individuals is to reach them through the companies they work for and the brands they support. The approach of Go Give One is to reach individuals through businesses. Businesses have employees and customers and the people who they influence through their marketing and social media channels. Businesses reach individuals at scale. So our goal is to reach individuals through business partners who can offer matching programs um, through platforms like Benevity or who could offer the Go Give One opportunity to their customers and communities. So... Vaccine equity is for people everywhere in the world to have the ability to get vaccinated. And we're seeing richer countries, you referenced the stats before, right? They're, we're vaccinated at a much higher rate than lower income countries. What are the risks and maybe specifically the business risks of lower income countries being so far behind? What is the problem if we continue on the trajectory that we're on? I want everyone in the world to have access to vaccines, and that comes from my heart. It also comes from my head. Vaccine inequity is epidemiologically self-defeating because the more virus that's out there, the more you're going to have variants, and the more likely you will have a variant that is resistant to vaccines. But it's also economically self-defeating. The economic effects of COVID-19 in terms of employment and disruption to business have been unprecedented. and it's unsurprising that people might want to believe that if everyone gets vaccinated in the United States or in Canada, that they will be protected from the same type of economic effects that we saw last year. But the reality is that we live in an interconnected global economy. And what that means is that 
when your supply chain links back to low-income countries where people aren't getting vaccinated, your business is going to be disrupted. The International Chamber of Commerce did a study that put numbers to that logic, and it estimated the economic impact of vaccine inequity in a scenario in which high-income countries have high vaccination rates and low-income countries have low vaccination rates, the cost of the vaccine inequity is $10 trillion, which costs more than vaccinating everyone. So the numbers tell a very clear story, which is that whether what you care about is the epidemiology or whether what you care about is your economy, vaccine inequity should be your top priority in terms of ending it. Are we doing uh, any better than we were? Has vaccine access improved in the 21st century? Or, you know, how can we do even better? So I'm really excited about this question because I love sharing good news. There is always better. We have done better. And acknowledging our success, I think, is what gives us power to solve our challenges. So let me tell you some good news about HIV, let me tell you some good news about vaccination, and even let me tell you some good news about COVID-19. In HIV, the first case in the United States was 1981. It took until 1996 to develop combination treatment, which turned HIV from effectively a death sentence to a chronic illness. That's 15 years. It took another number of years to create the global organizations that set as their mandate, getting those medicines out to people in low-income countries at a much lower cost. Today, in 2021, I'm happy to say that 73% of people living with HIV have access to medicines. That's 28 million people around the world have access to life-saving medicines for less than a dollar a day out of the 38 million people living with HIV. That's 40 years later. It took 40 years to go from that first case of HIV to the availability of effective medicines, to getting those medicines to most of the people who needed them. And that is a success story. We have equal success stories for other diseases. Vaccine preventable illness, which often targets children, is another success story, where in the last 20 years, since the year 2000, 820 million children have been vaccinated in the 80 poorest countries in the world, preventing 14 million deaths. And again, speaking about the economic return, there's a 50 to one economic return when you vaccinate a child because of the healthcare costs that are avoided when someone is vaccinated, but also from the contribution an individual who's vaccinated brings to the economy. So all of those wonderful numbers in terms of lives saved and children reached with vaccines translates to $150 billion in economic benefits. That's incredibly good news. We have made wonderful progress in global public health. COVID-19, of course, is a challenge to that because it's disrupted many health programs around the world. But the good news on COVID-19 is that we have vaccines. From the beginning of 2020 to the beginning of 2021, a number of very effective vaccines were developed and approved for use. That is unprecedented. And in the first eight months of this year, we have 3.3 billion vaccine doses having been administered, reaching 40% of the world's population. That's, it's, it's breathtaking. My breath was literally just taken away <laughs> saying those numbers because of what we've accomplished as a human community.
So we have incredibly good news to celebrate and an incredible challenge to tackle since so much of that good news has been focused on so few of us on this planet. When 80% of, of those vaccines have reached people only in a few high-income countries and less than 1% have reached people in low-income countries, people whose, whose, whose lives are as worthy as ours, right? Those people, they're the same as us. They just happen to live in another country. They should have access to vaccines just like we do. Global health is both a moral and an economic imperative. And the two are not as easy to separate from one another as you might think. But vaccine equity isn't the only battleground where morals and economics matter. It's just another example of the challenges people face in overcoming systemic and generational injustice. As Anil thinks about the disruption that COVID-19 has caused since early 2020, he reflects on what we can learn from the past year. My challenge to your listeners, I suppose, when we think about economic implications, comes back to this question of the value of every human life. Is there business disruption when people in low-income countries are not vaccinated because of the global supply chain? Yes. Will individuals feel that in high-income countries? Yes. Are you likely to have shortages of products or have higher prices as a consequence? Yes. If you're running a business, do you face business risk? Yes. All of that is true. But I want to flip that around for a second. And rather than talking about economic loss, talk about economic opportunity. And rather than talking about COVID-19 vaccine access, talk about what it means to more robustly tackle the injustices that continue to hamper human potential. This is a moment in which we see manifested in COVID-19 both the legacy of generations of injustice, but also the opportunity, I genuinely hope, of tackling injustice and lifting up every person on the planet. And the economic power that comes from that, whether you're looking for more middle-income consumers, whether you're looking for a more robust workforce, however you see the individuals on the planet contributing to the economy, their value as humans, which is manifested itself in often business, consumers, what, what have you, that's what this is about too. So yes, vaccine inequity has economic consequences and we should be aware of those costs and we should be motivated to solve vaccine inequity to avoid those business risks. But I want all of us to walk away from 2020 and 2021, whether it's COVID-19 or the climate crisis or the refugee crisis and say, that when we don't tackle systemic injustice, we pay economic cost. And when we are on the right side of history and fight for justice, that will pay dividends. 
it is the right answer no matter what your metric of evaluation. So I don't want your listeners to think that this is just about COVID-19. I want COVID-19 to be the opportunity for us to do more for one another and unleash the power of human potential by allowing every single human being on this planet to realize their potential. So I think we're kind of coming around back to this theme, but in a slightly different way, which is um, really talking about the role of the corporation in engaging individuals and even governments. And how can we appeal to companies um, and corporations to, to use, you know, their, their, their status as the most trusted, you know, um, institution in the world right now? How can we leverage that strength and you know, appeal to, to companies to step in and be a part of the solution. So if you're listening to this podcast, you're likely a business leader who's already quite progressive in how you think of the answer to this question. But I'll, I'll share my point of view, and this comes having worked in the public and private sectors. I've worked for business, I've run P&Ls, I've also worked in the public sector. And there's a, a false sense that we are working uh, for across purposes. It's critical, it is necessary that we draw on the power of business to solve the critical problems of our time. And the reason, the reasons are many, including the core competence of business, but also every one of us as individuals in this world engage in our lives through the prism of business. We are employees, we are consumers, we are influenced by the marketing and social media of business. Business has the brands we trust. Business speaks the language that is compelling for us. And I believe firmly that when business leaders ensure that their values are aligned with their core product, that that allows for their employees to be more motivated and more loyal to the business. You're going to hold on to people because they are motivated by purpose. And when they find in their job an opportunity to both feel fulfilled by the, the, the activities that come with the job, but also feel like they're part of something greater and that your business is connecting them to something greater, that's incredible for employees. It's also amazing for consumers. The businesses that have brought into their product and their brand a belief that we can do better together has brand loyalty and has consumer engagement that goes off the charts. And that's good for business. So this is it is a false choice to think, do I, do I solve for my PL or do I solve for doing the right thing in the world in this moment when vaccine inequity is something that I hope you uh, can tackle? It's not either or. It's doing the latter fuels the former. So it's absolutely true in my experience that businesses can be cannot just write a check to charity. That's not what you do. That's not what businesses are about. It, it's welcome. <laughs> but what businesses are about are their core competence 
and their engagement with people. Any business is about people and it's your employees and it's your customers and giving them the opportunity to be part of something greater and seeing that you are providing that opportunity to them is a pathway to making the world a better place and to your business doing very well. At the end of our conversation, Anil shared a very personal story with us. It's a story about the power of love and how his family has given him perspective on his life's work. We want to leave you today with that story, and we thank Anil for his vulnerability and his courage. When I was the chief executive of the Clinton Health Access Initiative, and I had the opportunity through that organization to touch the lives of people around the world, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. And I remember how much the fear of losing my dad, who is as important to me as your parents or children or spouse, how much it magnified my understanding of every life we were fighting for. That if there was someone on this planet who, whose life would end because they don't have access to a low-cost medicine that I have access to in the part of the world that I live in, that that life is as full, as spectacular, as worthy, as deserving as my dad. Since I last spoke to you, my dad came to visit and meet his new grandson. Rohan's now three months old. And 72 hours after he arrived, he was in an ambulance and my father suffered a subdural hematoma, meaning that there was bleeding uh, in his brain. And he's been in an ICU since and has suffered brain damage. And I don't know what his prognosis is. And I'm in this moment of my life when I'm celebrating the life of my three-month-old son and I'm fighting for the life of my 80-year-old dad. And I find the weight of those lives, the space they fill in my heart to be overwhelming. And they are two lives out of millions and billions. And I share this with you because just like in 2009, when I found out my dad's cancer diagnosis in the middle of the fight against COVID-19, when I'm trying to ensure in the small role that I play that 
we get vaccines out to everyone so that we have fewer deaths and we have more people who can realize their potential and feel safe and feel joy, feel free from fear, that every one of those lives is like my dad. Or if you use this in your podcast, that every one of those lives is like the loved ones of every one of the listeners in this moment. If you're listening to this, you have a father, mother, child, spouse, cousin, brother, sister. You have people in this world that you would do anything for. And I think focusing on your love for them and integrating that the people who we're talking about or we're reading about with these statistics, that their value, worth, that their personhood, that their spirits and souls, that they're equal to those we love most in the world. I think that gives us something to fight for and to be in solidarity with one another to do this task that feels so big and so hard, but it's possible. I really think that when we root ourselves in that understanding that all lives have equal value, it can empower us to do things that we didn't think were possible. And that's what I hope we can do together. Thank you for joining us today on Speaking of Purpose. We hope this podcast provides you with a spark of inspiration, learning from leaders like Anil about how to harness the power of the individual and turn it into meaningful action to make the world a better place for everyone. Today's episode was created by the passionate team here at Benevity. Special thanks to Anil Sony, CEO of the WHO Foundation. Go to who.foundation to learn more. And for more information on the Go Give One campaign, go to gogiveone.org. And don't forget, if your workplace has a giving program powered by Benevity, you can support the Go Give One campaign right now. Talk to your program leader or search for Go Give One in Benevity. To listen to past episodes and get new episodes as soon as they're released, Subscribe or follow Speaking of Purpose wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked today's episode, consider sharing it. And if you'd like to learn more about us, go to benevity.com. Thanks for listening.